So tonight is November 2nd. It's amazing how fast this year is going by. And uh, our message this evening is going to be called Open Books. You can go ahead and turn with me to Galatians 5. How many of you were happy when you were in school and the kind of test you had to take was an open book exam? Oh, yeah. I had a world geography class with a man who slept every day except the test day. And about 30 minutes before the class would begin, he would skim the chapter. He had a photographic memory. And uh, that's all he had to put into that class. He also offered me $100 to beat somebody up because he wanted to date Jennifer and he thought they were uh, too close to her. Isn't that funny? It's one of the ways that I met her. <laughs> um, I didn't do it. Uh, instead, I dated Jennifer. <laughs> Open book is a good feeling. It's good to know that you have insight into something. It's good to know that you are not on the outside. There is no further clearance required. For this reason, I want to talk to you about some open books. But are y'all in Galatians 5? Amen. Let's read then the 25th verse. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. There's a constant battle in our lives. Bound up within you is a fool who cannot please God. He's your flesh. Sometimes in our Bible counseling and teaching, we use a man named Noble, Nabal as an example because his name means fool. This person has drunken judgment. This person never seems to be able to get it right. This is not the character that we want to define us. But if we're honest, we have to count him dead. As Romans 6 says, he's always there. You have the potential inside of you at any moment to do the exact opposite of what the Lord would tell you to do. Having said that, the Word tells us our obligation is not to the sinful nature. Romans 8 teaches us this, as well as the 5th chapter of Galatians and many other passages. We have an obligation to reckon the fool within dead so that we can be alive to the Spirit of God. And to do this, we need to realize something. God is always on the move. When the Hebrews want to speak about God's Holy Spirit, they call it Spirit of Holiness, and it is Ruach HaKodesh. This same word, Ruach, implies movement of air. When we do it in Greek and we say Holy Spirit, it is pneumos. Pneumos is not pneumos if it is not moving. It's where you get the idea of pneumatic tools, tools driven by air. The idea is that God is always on the move, and our job is to be in step with Him, moving where He moves, doing what He does. You can move with intention, friends, when you know what the heart of God is. You can have a reckless abandonment of self. You can throw caution completely to the wind when you are being directed from the Most High God. But it is important to take the time to get that direction. How many of you can be tenacious if you're driven after the right thing? You know, I know for sure that I have seen men, some in this room, do things like rent a single wide or buy a single wide trailer and build a barn. 
and then move a whole family into the barn while they built a house, story by story, room by room, because it was a goal in front of them that they were driven for. Dad helped, mom helped, all daughters helped. They worked to get something done that was a family goal, tenacious, and it didn't take weeks. It might have taken years. I have seen people do things like eat potatoes. Chris Woodring ate potatoes for an entire year to save money for, for something. I've seen people split meals for seven or eight years. If they went out, they only split the meal, never ordered two meals. That's Wade and Christie, Sutherland. Because there was a goal in front of them for the kingdom. They wanted with all of their heart to accomplish something, and no sacrifice was too great. When we think of sacrificing for the Lord, we tend to think of a single sacrifice. One John Wayne-like finale, where there is a moment of sacrifice, and yet the kingdom advances little by little. Inch by inch, it's much more like trench warfare than atomic warfare. Huge battles are not normally won in a single day. They're won inch by inch. So I ask you, who are you in step with and why? Our church has been on the edge of revival. We've seen something like 20 people born again or spirit-filled in the last three, four weeks. Not even four weeks, three weeks. We also, in the push of that kingdom, have experienced a pushback. We've had things like vehicles stolen while I'm preaching. Strange sicknesses that have popped up. All kinds of kingdom pushing against kingdom. Friends, if we're going to win, if you're going to advance the kingdom, you must know what the Lord's will is and then deliberately do it. Inch by inch. This race is a marathon. It is not a momentary sprint. I encourage you to get the mind of the Lord tonight. Find out what direction He is moving so that you can be in step with Him. Is this fair enough? Amen. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 29. Tell me when you're there. While you're turning there, I know all of you remember that my father died August 17th this year. And there was something that happened that year, the last year of his life. He was experiencing some health problems, but he was also experiencing great victory. He had his first hole-in-one. My daddy was a near-scratch golfer, but he had a first hole-in-one in his 70s, the last year of his life. Dad was doing backflips with me off of a diving board. I don't know what's harder to believe, that I can still do it or that he could. The man was an athlete. He was amazing. 45 days before I buried him in Klein, Texas. But something has gripped me lately, and it is about these open books. And I remembered that he said something to me about 60 days before he died. He looked at me and said, Eric, by the grace of God, I will unite this family before I go home. Now, at the time, I just saw it as kind of wishful thinking, if we're just going to be honest. It didn't seem, it seemed like just a good thought. Right? Sure you will, Dad. That's great. Good goal. We've been wanting to do that for 20 years. You know, that was my thinking. Of course, in his death, he united our family in a way that it has not been united in many years. There are conversations taking place between people that don't normally speak. There's reconciliation being made. And I recognize that even though he didn't know that the hour was at hand, he felt a sense of urgency to accomplish certain things. Friends, we need to hurt for that urgency. We need to want that urgency. 
Because I guarantee you he did not know what was around the corner, but he did know that he needed to pick up the pace. And this is not unique to him. Is there anybody in here that has had a godly burden that you just couldn't rest until you finished it? A few weeks ago, I had to go to Arkansas. It made no sense to go to Arkansas. But there's revival in two churches going on right now that we got a chance to play a part in. And if I had not gone, people would not have gotten spirit-filled. Three weeks ago on this stage, my wife had an open vision, and books were open to her. And the Lord himself began to show her things that were checked off of a list. And he told her, these are the things you have put into motion. Not completed tasks, things that because you were obedient in, it set something in a direction. Which led us to wonder what happens if we didn't do that. How many lives would it affect if you did not marry Joellen, Charlie? What if you had let that moment pass you by? How many lives would it affect if somebody had not told you about Jesus? You see, there is an unforeseen chain of events that is staggering. Are you in Deuteronomy 29? Yes. yes. 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow all the words of this law. The secret things belong to God, but the things revealed belong to us. us. Come on, what are three of you awake tonight? The things revealed belong to us. When our God shows us something, it is ours. Now let me tell you something. If your neighbor has a dog and that dog mauls your child, who do you go speak with? The neighbor. Because the dog belongs to him. He is responsible for it. Not just the good things that it does, not just when it fetches his paper, but if it eats my golf shoes, I'm going to talk to the neighbor. When our God reveals something to you, it belongs to you. The good part of it and the responsible part of it. Because it belongs to you, it's been put on deposit with you. This means what we preached about Sunday, 30, 60, and 100 fold is something that God is looking for. He gives us revelation for a reason. And just like I will go after my neighbor, if somebody who he's responsible for destroyed my property, our God is looking for us to give an account for the things that he has revealed to us. Does that make sense to you? Amen. Okay, then let us turn to the very first time a book is mentioned in the Bible. Hebrew for book is Sefer. It's interesting because you're going to be in Exodus 32. Because when the Jews begin to learn the Word of God, one of the places they go is called Bet Sefer. The goal of Bet Sefer, or house of the book, is to learn all five books of Moses, called the Torah. If you like to speak Greek, you can say Pentateuch. Penta meaning five, took meaning book. To learn it. Now, how many of you say you know the Word of God in here? Raise your hand. Oh, come on now. How many of you would like to stand with, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and void. How would you like to start with that and finish with the fifth book, last word? That was expected of Jewish children by the time they were 12. Expected. Now before you think about this brilliant race, which they are, I want to tell you that everything about their daily life pointed to it. 
You, before you understand that STOP means stop, you'll be able to look at a red diagonal in this country and know what you do at it. You could never be able to read and you know what to do at it because you've seen it all of your life. Their society was set up the very same way. Because of this, some conceptions grew. And the conceptions that begin in the book of Exodus find their fulfillment in the book of Revelation. And it was innate. It was inherent upon you because you grew up with this understanding all around you. Listen to what God and Moses are speaking about the first time a book is mentioned. This is Exodus 32, and we will start in verse 30. The next day Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to, to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Ah, what great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. The Lord replied, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. And they go on and have the rest of a discussion. This is the very first mention of this mysterious book. And the first thing that I'd like you to know about it is that God Himself wrote it. He considers it His. Later in the Scripture, it's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And that the names that were in it had the potential to be taken out of it. Keep your finger here and now turn with me to John 5. Actually, we're in Exodus. Why don't you go to Exodus 38. In Exodus 38, look for me around verse... 25. The silver obtained from those of the community who were counted in the census was 100 talents and 1,775 shekels, according to the sanctuary shekel. One becca per person, that is, a half of a shekel, according to the sanctuary shekel, from everyone who had crossed over to those counted 20 years old or more. A total of 603,555 men. Before we go on any further from that, with your finger still in Exodus, go to the book of John. Get a little Bible workout today. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. In John, you will be in the fifth chapter. Find for me the 24th verse. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Because in, in Israel, when they came out of Egypt in the Exodus, God told Moses, redeem all of the firstborn. Redeem them all. And the way that a person is, re is redeemed is with a shekel or half shekel rather of silver. He said a rich person does not pay more. A poor person does not pay less. But every single Israelite would have to have an amount paid for them. By the time this is done, the way that they had done it was they organized everybody on one side of a great barrier. Things like a Jordan River, although the first time it was not a Jordan River. And as you paid, you crossed over to the other side. 
This way a man could stand and look at the people and he could say, these are still in death. They're unredeemed. These have crossed over from death into life. They are members of the commonwealth of Israel, adopted as sons of God. Now when somebody was adopted as a son, when somebody was a member of the community of Israel, one of the very first things that would be done for them in every community is a community needs a butcher. A community needs an undertaker. A community needs a tanner. A community needs a diesel mechanic. Especially if you have as many Fords as we have. Communities need different things. So inclusion into the community meant life because it would help sustain you. But it also meant purpose. Your life was no longer just about yourself. It was about serving the community. In America, we've become so independent, we do not know very much about communal living. But you study immigrant populations around the world, and they know everything is about communal living. Vote in blocks, live in blocks, study in blocks, worship in blocks, because community is life. The Bible was written from that attitude. By the time God's having his discussion with Moses, they had understood that book, that great book, to be those who were included in God's community. They were on His rolls. And the only thing that could remove you would be your own sin. And Moses is pleading for his people. If you're going to hold their sin against them, then hold it against me as well. This is very much a type of Jesus who stood for a different kind of community, although he was a Jew and the king of the Jews and a pure Israelite in whom there was nothing false. He stood and said, if you're going to count their sin against them, why don't I take it instead? So that we could be included in a new kind of book. A book that extended beyond the commonwealth of Israel. A book that was written in the heavens. This book first appears in Exodus 32. But we see it in Daniel 12 as well. Please go with me there. Crossing over. Tell me when you're in Daniel. There. In Daniel 12, look at the 12th chapter and the first verse. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be Delivered. This word delivered is used of a natural deliverance, but it is the same word that speaks of a spiritual deliverance. In Israel, there was little difference between the two. A time of great distress in everyone who was in God's book of life or census book. They were a part of the community and body of God would be protected. We see this in Daniel 12. Turn with me to Philippians. We hear this applied a different way. You'll keep moving to the right. In your Bibles. If you hit Revelation, you went too far. Although I hope Revelation is hitting you. Yeah. You'll be in Philippians in the fourth chapter. Start in the second verse. I plead with Eudia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow. Help these women who have continued at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement, 
and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Not only were members of Israel written in the book of life, but those who took up the cause of the king of Israel, those who held Jesus as their king, their Messiah, their Savior, the fullness of the deity, they too were included in a book. Turn with me to Revelation 13. You'll be happy this is the last book of the Bible. There is nowhere else to go. In Revelation 13... A question needs to be answered, and this will help answer it. I was told most of my life, you see, Eric, when a person is born, they are put in the book of life. And the only way to be blotted out of the book of life is to never receive Jesus. This is a real problem. And it's a real problem because more than twice in the Scripture, that very thought is denied. Look at the 13th chapter. Look at the 8th verse. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names... What's that say? Have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. Revelation 17.8 says the same thing. I rarely lie when I preach, so you won't have to turn there. This means then that to get in the book, there had to be a price paid. There had to be a crossing over. You had to move from an alien and a foreigner into sonship, into adoption, into some position that was granted you that we can think of as a heavenly citizenship. Not everybody is in this position, but those that have been now have a responsibility because all members of all communities anywhere in the world except possibly the United States have some responsibility to their community. We are a few among the world population that have bought into the idea that it is someone else's job to take care of us because we are too pathetic to take care of ourselves. You want to destroy a man? Destroy a whole class of society? Take away their purpose in the community. Like bears at a national forest meant to hunt, feed them junk food. Teach them to receive handouts. Teach them that they serve no purpose except to receive. And you will cut their lifespans by half. You know what the body of Christ needs? A kick in the pants that says get to work. Amen. There is work to be done. Amen. If we understood that the Spirit was moving, if we understood the day we were included in the community of God, there was something laid out for us to do. Amen. If we understood our name on the heavenly rolls meant our feet on the heavenly workforce. If we understood that faith was not a statement, faith was an action. An action that was proven out by our works. If we understood that our king had a purpose in saving us, we would not sit by in apathy. I have got a message, friend. It has been downloaded into my spirit. And it's a message that is not new. It simply is new in my heart. Amen. You only have so much time. Amen. What are you waiting for? We're waiting for somebody to tell us it's okay, Cassidy. You can do it. We're waiting for someone to say, here's how you do it, JJ. We're waiting for somebody, Brandon, to come along and say, here's one of four options. Pick one and do it. What gives anyone the right to do these things? It's your name in the book. It's your citizenship at stake. It is your divine destiny at hand. 
You do not need somebody else to tell you you can or can't, should or shouldn't, or how to or what not to. In fact, God appointed apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, and evangelists for one purpose. To raise you up so that you can complete the work God gave you to do. Amen. But somewhere along the line, we've decided that citizenship is the goal in and of itself. It's the means to the end. Citizenship is everything. No, citizenship is inclusion in the community, friends. To simply be the newest member does not make you its most exalted member. There is work to be done. When you study the books, it's hard to not notice. While we're in the book of Revelation, why don't we just look? That way you don't think I make it up. Turn to the third chapter. How about verse 5? Why don't we just go ahead and start in verse 4? Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. By the way, who are we talking to? To the pastor or the angel of the church in Sardis. Is this a bunch of lost people? No. Hmm. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. What if you don't overcome? Of course, the word says in every gospel, he who stands firm to the end shall be saved. But like this, we've decided we want an illegal immigrant situation in the heavens. We've decided that you do not have to keep any laws. You don't have to honor the most basic ways to come into the kingdom. You don't even have to go through Jesus anymore. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father except through me. But according to our nation's largest pastor, suddenly... You can go through Joseph Smith. Friends, it's time for a wake-up call. Amen. <laughs> to be included in the book is not to be etched in something that cannot be removed, no matter what any denomination tells you. On Monday night, I gave people 40 scriptures on that subject. 40 scriptures that tell you you need to continue in the faith. 40 scriptures that tell you you fight. 40... Scriptures that tell you you must stand firm till the end. Forty scriptures that do that, and I could give you 400. But if you didn't accept the first four, you probably wouldn't like the next 36 or 306. We have a responsibility. And the responsibility is to grow what God has given us. The responsibility is to be obedient. If somebody has told you that he can be your Lord without you doing what he says, y'all are both stupid. <laughs> Is that plain enough speech? Yeah. I know, parents, we don't say that word. Except the Bible does. Paul told Timothy to stay away from foolish and stupid arguments. Proverbs 12 says, He who hates correction is stupid. Stupid is not a word that the Bible doesn't use because as Forrest said, stupid is as stupid does. <laughs> we need to not be scared to call it exactly as Jesus said. He looked right at his, his disciples. He said, are you still so dull? Do you need the King Eric translation of that? Are you still stupid. stupid? The answer is, of course, a big resounding yes. 
We thought, Lord, if we just signed our draft card. Lord, if we just signed up to vote. Lord, if we just showed up on the first day the roll was called, that would all that would ever be required of us because you know we were looking for the minimum. That is not how the kingdom works, friends. He is the ultimate. He is always on the move. We need to be seeking His face saying, Today, Lord, I need daily bread. And what is daily bread? According to John 4, my food is to do the work of Him who sent me and finish it. That is what food is for the believer. When your citizenship is in heaven, you live to complete the task, to finish the race. You live for it. You may even die for it. Friends, this is not the gospel that is being preached to everywhere. It's not. You're being told 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, something other than obedience to this message. It is usually something like, God wants you stupid. No, I'm sorry, what I meant was, God wants you healthy, wealthy, and happy. Spelled S-T-U-P-I-D. <laughs> it's the poor who are rich in faith, friends. It's the obedient that know what it is to be the Lord. It's those who fellowship in His sufferings that are closest to Him. Why would we want to be anything else? Because we bought into the idea if our name is on the roll, then that's all there is to it. I want to tell you the same pen that inscribed you in blood can erase you in your unbelief and disobedience. Read the 11th chapter of Romans. It could not get any clearer. If you don't like the book of Romans, read the 15th chapter of John. It could not get any clearer. What is a branch that is cut off and withers and dies and is thrown into the fire? It's certainly not some area of your life. I am the vine, you are the branches, and yet we still have trouble interpreting this very difficult passage. It's so difficult that he said exactly what he meant. Amen. Friends, it's difficult when you don't like what it says. I want to get back to the books. Psalm 69, 28 also speaks of blotting you out, but I'm done with blotting. Let's turn to Daniel 7. How about that? There's not just one book in the Bible. In fact, there are lots of books in the Bible when you get right down to it. There's a book of the Annals of the Kings. There's a book of Jafar. There is the book of the Wars of the Lord. There is uh, the book of the Annals of the Kings of Judah and Israel. There are a lot of books in the Bible, but there are a couple that are special. And the ones that are special are simply referred to as the book or the books. Let's read about the books. Are you in Daniel 7? Yes. I'm not. Will you wait for me for a minute? What else are you going to do, right? In Daniel 7. Well, uh, let's, let's start in verse 8. Without going through the entire eschatological background of Daniel 7... Let us say that the little horn is not a good person. Verse 8. While I was thinking about the horns, there was before me another horn, a little one. He had a Napoleon complex. Which came up before them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. So what is the setting? We have boastful authorities. Boastful authorities. Verse 9. As I looked, thrones were set in place. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 
10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. Friends, why you want to be in the book, and the book shows up throughout Scripture, and it is something you desperately want to be included in, when books show up, it tends to have to do with deeds, and in almost every setting, deeds of those that were not in the, the book. My point is, is your name is going to be written somewhere. Heaven knows your name. And it will either know your name as one who was included in the community of God, bought by the blood of the Lamb and covered by the very same blood, or it will be recorded as a transgressor outside the kingdom with each infraction listed in a courtroom setting. We see this in Daniel 7, but Daniel 7 is not the only place that we see it. Turn with me to Revelation 20. That would be easy to find. You were just there. there. Say there one more time when you get back there. Let us read that courtroom setting written about 600 years after the previous entry. 20 verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, earth and sky, fled from his presence. Is that impressive? Amen. I bet he doesn't need a teleprompter. And there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. We have books, and we have another book. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books, plural. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. One book seems to have to do with whether or not you're in the community of God. While the books that are plural seems very much to have to do with the fact that you are not, and while it may only take one book to write down the names of everyone who is saved, it takes more books than can be counted to write down every infraction of every lost person that ever lived. But I assure you, it is recorded. We have a videotape of the man who was stealing my truck last Wednesday while Mike was preaching. But I'm not the only one with the video. It's recorded in a heavenly book. And while the Fort Bend police may never find it, there is a king who is looking out for me and that which I have put in his service. And he will definitely find him. This is why it's appropriate to pray for those who curse you, to, to bless them. It's why it's appropriate to leave room for the Lord. He doesn't miss a thing. You know what's very freeing about that? Am I the only one in here that at some point in your life somebody's hurt you? The rest of you have managed to make it unscathed to this point, right? I'm the only one with a little skin in the game? No. <laughs> you no longer have to keep track of those things. Someone else has. You are free. You are free. You are free. 
you are free. And whomever the Son sets free is free indeed. How are you free? You are free from hate. You are free from envy. You are free from bitterness. You are free from vitriol. You are free from the need for vengeance. You are free because you have entrusted all judgment to the man who really had all judgment in the first place. Amen. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he said all judgment in heaven and on earth has been given to Eric Stevens? No. No? To Mike Hutchinson? No. Matthew Piro? No. Who? Jesus. To me. To Jesus, the living Christ. And his judgment is right because he doesn't judge by what he sees. He judges only by what he hears his father say, and his father started a book of the righteous. He first discussed it with Moses. It last shows up in the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation as the census for the heavenly city. I pray not only that your name is in the book, but that you understand that with that comes a responsibility. Turn with me to Psalm 139. There. In Psalm 139, our brother David, that we can relate to. Most people love the Psalms more than they love any other book, provided that they've actually read the books of the Bible, and that their favorite book is not the prayer of Jabez, or how to have a grace explosion, or how to get rich, or whatever else the Christian bookstore is selling these days. And the reason that most people can identify with the Psalms the way they can is because David struggled like a regular man. He said to have a heart after God, and yet he did things God would never do. I would like to tell you just a little insight into what I've learned about the Lord. We focus so much on what we're not supposed to do. Did David do some things he was not supposed to do? Yeah. But in God's eyes, those things didn't seem to define his life, did they? You know what defined David's life? The things he was supposed to do and did. I think too many people are defining their Christianity by what they do not do. We don't do this, and we don't do that, and we don't do this, and my kids, and I'll, you know, aside from the obvious disgust that you can see rising in my face as I say that, I don't believe that a Christian was separated or sheep were separated from goats in Matthew 25 based on the things that they didn't do for the Lord. It was based on the things that they did do. And you know what David did do? He killed giants when other hidden holes. He took the armies of Israel out when no one else would go to war. He fell down and worshipped when others wanted to go to war. Cried when others laughed. He stayed in step with what God wanted. Got a whole lot that was wrong. But apparently, according to Acts 14, he fulfilled his purpose in his generation. That means that his life was defined by completing the items that were on the list. In Psalm 139, David is having one of those private conversations with God that you get a chance to read. Aren't you glad your private conversations with God are not printed for the world? I was praying in other tongues one time and a man happened, it happened to be his own language. 
And he began to give the interpretation, and I was horrified. Because the woman was in the room that I was praying about. And while I didn't know what I was saying, apparently I was praying in Portuguese that day, and he did know what I was saying. He says, Brother, tell me, you have a problem with some woman? I said, What would make you say that? For two hours you keep praying. You say, Lord, the stubborn donkey, open her mouth. Lord, the stubborn donkey, make her praise you. Lord, she is such a stubborn donkey. Please reach her, Lord. I said, oh, no, no, I was probably speaking about me. Glancing over at the woman, scared to death of what this would mean. He says, no, in Portuguese, this is very specific language. La Bora. He said, it is female donkey. <laughs> what nobody else in the room knew was before I walked into that prayer meeting, I put my head on the steering wheel and said, in English, knowing what I was saying, Lord, I don't know what to do. This woman is more stubborn than a donkey. And I went and prayed for two hours in a language I don't understand, and unfortunately someone else in the room did. <laughs> Friends, our God is very, very much in touch with our daily struggle. In Psalm 139, let us pick up around 14. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. This man saw God's thoughts about him as something that were precious. He recognized that in God's book where he wrote his name, the Lamb's book of life, there was something else written. Now, I'm not one that places a great deal of importance on extra-biblical experience unless it meets one of two criteria. The first one is if it happened to me, then it has perfect bearing on everything because it happened to me. And the second is if it happened to my wife. Please understand, I love you. And if you tell me you saw a vision, I am happy for you. That is not the same for me as if I read Scripture. It's encouraging. It's good, but it's not the same as if I read something in the Scripture. However, when the Lord spoke to me audibly in 1993 and it knocked me down, it was no different to me than reading Scripture, although I don't expect you to understand that. You know why? The Lord said it to me. It was beyond question. My point here being, while I don't expect you to take the details of something that I'm going to share with you as Scripture, for you it should be nothing more than, hmm, that's something to consider. For me it's become much more important than that because I know everybody concerned in a way that you don't know. When my wife was standing on this stage three weeks ago, she saw the books were open, and an angel, actually she asked me if he was an angel and he smiled and said, I'm a servant. My wife doesn't know that that's what the word angel means. It's funny, heaven has a sense of humor. He began to show her deeds that were in a book. And there were pages. She was happy. She asked about those pages, and he said, these are the things that have been set in motion. And she felt a moment of pride. And he put his hand on her shoulder and said, these were the easy things. They were faith builders. What lies ahead is very difficult. She didn't understand that 
He began to show her more things about it. At some point, she was overwhelmed with sorrow, so he drew her close to the throne. She said she was connected to Jesus, even though she was speaking to the man in that moment. Now, those of you that know my wife know this is not an everyday occurrence. She's not full of fanciful thought. It's changed her life. It's changed mine as well. Because she saw something on that list that had just been completed. And he told her that was set in motion. And then over the next few days, I got reports about it from other people. And I could not believe how one life was affecting so many. And it was growing and growing and growing. And then I began to understand your hunches are not yours anymore. The leading of your life is not yours anymore. The Spirit of God will put you where He wants you and it is your job to be in step with Him because your obedience is everything. And if we had not gone, if we had not spoken up, if we had not prayed, if we had not gone the whole way and seen the baptism in the Holy Ghost, then a whole series of events would not have happened. And while somebody might be proud and go, oh yeah, I did that and it's in the book, you know what I was filled with as I was hearing it? Fear because I almost didn't do it. And I realized what a razor's thin edge that we live on so much of the time. So much of the time we are burdened because we're full of the things we want to do and not so full of the things God wants us to do. In fact, we spent very little time considering it. She looked down the list and she saw there were things left to be done. He told her that they were very difficult. I've woken up every day now and said, Lord, what's left? What do you want? What is it today that you want? That is a different kind of life. We all say we want to be led by the Spirit. We quote Romans 8 and says, Many as are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. But let's take it out of the Casper the Ghost realm. Let's take it out of the strangely, vaguely ambiguous and let's bring it home. What did he tell you to do this week? What did he tell you to do today? Where is your goal? What drives you? You know, I know what it is to be in situations where you have to fight for your survival. I was never a soldier, but my sin put me in situations where locker room doors closed and you stand alone with five men who want to hurt you. You either crumble into a ball and hope for mercy... Or you find a way to live. Does anybody have that drive in them that you will not just crawl into a hole and hope for mercy? Amen. Somewhere in the kingdom, you need some Romans 5 perseverance that says, this is building in me character and I will be tenacious. I will not let go of that which God has given me. And when I accomplish this, I want another one. Otherwise, why did he draft you into the community? What is your purpose? I don't think our teenagers would kill themselves the way that they do if they had a purpose. I don't think nursing homes would be full of mindless drones that just live for the next meal if they had a purpose. But our lives are robbed of purpose. The devil is stealing, killing, and destroying because we believe that when our name went on a roll, might as well die now. What a devilish thought. There was work for you to do. Turn with me to Ephesians 2. You're going to hear a scripture that you can probably quote because I refer to it five or six times every time I stand up here. And you know what? It's not enough. There, there, there. 
I could quote this when I was lost. I won a Bible award in 1993 when I was not a Christian. And yet somehow or another, as the Spirit of God filled me, this transcended my intellect and began to fill my heart in a new way. And I pray that it does yours as well. Because the kingdom advances when Patricia grabs one new thing God called her to do and she doesn't rest until it's done. When Boaz grabs hold of what God has given him and says, before the day is over, this falls or I do. There has got to be some Holy Ghost tenacity. We cannot sit on our hands and say, the Lord will do it. The Lord will do it. The Lord will do it. Friends, he's seated at the right hand of the Father commanding you to do it. How interesting that the last words of the church recorded in Scripture are, come Lord quickly. The last reported words of Jesus in the, on the earth is, go into all the nations. You see our opposing points of view? He wants us to go work. We want him to come back so we don't have to work. Friends, when he comes back, all you will have is what you did, prompted by faith in him. That's all you will have. The Bible calls it righteous acts of the saints. It's likened unto a wedding dress. Some in Sardis had soiled theirs and were in danger of being blotted out of the book. I wish that message would get preached more in America. I think maybe we would not have such an ambi-tambi Christian life. Maybe we would not have the kind of boastful little horn-like mouth that lays claim to all of heaven while having done nothing on earth. Are you all in Ephesians 2? Yeah, Let's pick up in 2.1. It tells the whole story. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Matthew, you can come up here. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Isn't it an interesting concept before I move on with this? A biblical concept? <coughs> that you only have two natures. And of course Galatians 6, 8 says the one that you sow into is the one that you will reap from. So let me ask you, when you think back, not upon your life, but upon yesterday, how many of your actions were actually prompted by the Spirit. How much of your day was born out of some prayerful situation? How much of your day was even considering the kingdom of God which you were supposed to be walking in now? The devil is a master at distraction and theft, friends. He will tell you the most important thing you can do are the three tasks that you need to clothe yourself, to feed yourself, and to protect your life. And Jesus tells you, don't worry about what you'll eat. Don't worry about what you'll wear. And don't you worry about people who can destroy the body and do nothing else after that. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. And there's work for you. This is why when we lose our lives, we gain life. There is a great misinformation program going on. It's telling you that what you wear is important to you. What you eat is important that you need to protect your life at all costs. 
gospel is about not caring about any of the three, placing the Lord's will above them all. Of course, when we call him Lord, that's implied. We've just forgotten. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. You know, I'm a pastor and it's been a while since I heard a testimony that said I was wretched. I was wicked. I was incapable of doing anything good. I was ashamed and the fear of God <coughs> fell upon me and I was scared I would go to hell. I haven't heard a testimony like that in a long time. What I hear is, I don't know, I pretty well always, always loved the Lord, but you know, it's just that I've become more serious about Him recently. Very hard for me not to jump right out of my skin and say, liar, you need to go back to the altar. You don't have a revelation yet. You're trying to come into the kingdom over the wall. You haven't gone through the crucifying gate. How can you die to what you're not even acknowledging is there? We were objects of God's wrath. Think about that. Your name was not written in the book from the beginning. You were on his bad list. My dad had another name for that list. You were in the books. And somebody came and erased those wicked deeds and inscribed you in the Lamb's book of life because he had a purpose for you. Don't you have an obligation to somebody like that? But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And it is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Let's stop there for a second. Entire denominations have camped on this singular verse. Said you could not do anything to be saved. Your best would only be filthy rags. There would never be anything that you could do. In fact, it's adding to the cross. Let me agree quickly with that point of view but tell you that is one-tenth of the story. When you were an object of wrath, of course there was nothing that you could do that would be pleasing to God. He saved you purely as an act of grace, completely unmerited. Upon that we all agree. But when He put your name in the book, verse 10 says, for we are God's workmanship. He began to rework your entire life. You were an old junk's car, incapable of proper function. And he is restoring you to a classic form. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Why? What does it say? He wrote about him in his book when he put your name there. And I have a few left on my list to complete. Do you know that the Bible says it's a disgraceful son that sleeps during the harvest? Jesus told his apostles 2,000 years ago 
Open your eyes. The harvest is all around you. I'm sending you to reap where you have not sown. To harvest where you have not labored. Upon us, the fulfillment of the ages has come. The harvest is all around us. Are you awake to it? I've been preaching my heart out now for three or four weeks about evangelism in one form or the other. Every day, I'm sharing the word somewhere with multiple people. Sometimes they want to hear it. Sometimes they're just going to hear it because I need to share it. Am I making a dent at all? Yeah. Oh, yes. Amen. Because one of the things God put me on this earth to do was to prepare you for works of service, and we cannot do it if you refuse to move. You really want a car, you'll save for it. You really want a house, you might not go out to eat for a couple years to get it. You really need a surgery for your kids. You might cut out cable and internet and everything else. All of these things are things that are destined to perish. How hard are you working for the eternal things? Have we bought into the idea that we'll throw God some change in a plate? We'll tip him less than we will a waiter and call it good. Have we bought into that idea? That if we show up twice and what people call his house falsely, this is a building. This is no more the house of God than my dog house is the house of God. I am the house of God. You are the house of God. We are the church. This building is not the church. Showing up here doesn't do anything but add 98.6 degrees to the room. Have we been lulled to sleep? Pied Piper's playing his flute out there. It says nothing is required. Blessings are raining down everywhere. God loves you more than the rest of the world that is suffering for him. Don't do anything. Just go to sleep. Singing little lullabies. Does it have you under the ether? Or down in your heart is there some kind of tenacity? Like a young man locked into a locker room with four adversaries, five adversaries. Truthfully, there were six, if I'm telling the truth. I got arrested that day for a lesser purpose. Zip-tied, face down. Because some things are worth fighting for, and my life was one of them. How about your eternal soul? Is it worth fighting for? Amen. Who in here does not think their soul is worth fighting for? Speak up. What about theirs? worth fighting for. If yours is worth fighting for, why is theirs not worth fighting for? Why is it not worth enduring a little flack? A little shrapnel? Anybody ever shed any blood? In the last ten years, anybody hit you in the face? Been in prison? Had property taken away? Then we haven't yet begun, have we? Because it's going on all over the world. In Sudan, they're crucifying Christians right now. In Iran, They'll cut your head off publicly. There's a day coming when the most mighty prophets of the living God that ever walked the earth, the whole world will celebrate their death and give gifts to each other. What will we do with an eternity when we're surrounded by such as these and we have nothing to show? I promise that's not how God wrote your story. I promise He didn't write your story with no 
deeds of power, with no mighty acts of obedience, with no huge sacrifices, with no feats that were so big that if he didn't feel you to do it, you couldn't do it. I promise he destined you for glory. Maybe we need to seek him so he can reveal that moment for us. And maybe it's not a moment in a distant land far off. Maybe it's what you do tomorrow. Maybe if we didn't compromise for a moment, we might stumble across what we were created to do. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He thought enough of you that before you knew who you were in Christ, and some of you still don't know, He wrote you a future that was beautiful. One that would be worthy of being told before the angels in heaven. Amen. Don't throw it away for a television set. Don't throw it away for the latest iPod or skinny jeans whatever ridiculous thing has gripped the church. We live for one purpose, saints. To discover those items that are on the list. To own them. Personal responsibility for them. And if it takes your death to accomplish it, that's why you were born again. Of an incorruptible promise. That's the example that Jesus set. So when they want to throw rocks at him, and literally beat the life out of him. What did he say? My time has not yet come. And walked through them. But when he's in the last hour of his life, sensing the last couple items on the list, he smiles and says, you wouldn't have any power over me if my father didn't give it to you. Having breathed his last, checking the last item off of the list, and say it is finished. Jesus is not perfect because of what he didn't do. He's perfect because he did every item that God called him to do. If you're a theologian and you'd like to debate that with me, we will do it, but you will lose. Stand to your feet. As we begin to sing, we are closed. We are uh, dismissed. I'm not going to go through what has become our standard verbiage at this point. If you want to worship, some of us are going to stay and worship because I simply can't hear a message like that and then just go eat taco bell. Can't do it. I need to digest it somehow. I need to spend a moment asking what is on tomorrow's list. You have children that need to go to school. We got a ladies' retreat, all of those things. This is not an endurance contest. You do whatever your heart compels you to do without the compulsion from anyone else. The two things that I ask you to remember are obedience is everything. Then on a very practical matter, we just cross the first and we don't have what we need. So you pray. You do what God tells you to do. That's worship.